Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. You are listening to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And we're joined today by H.E. Upchurch, a terrorism researcher who specializes in transnational fascist networks thanks for joining us hello so you've done a master's thesis on the iron march forums and i thought we could talk to you about that what was your thesis about so i was looking at the the iron march forums from the perspective of like how terrorist movements form because terrorist movements typically start from a geographical center and then they propagate outwards either by co-opting existing groups or because they're able to put down ideological roots first, like well before they turn into terrorist cells elsewhere. So the Iron March network is actually not like that. So the there are terrorists, when I say the Iron March network, you might know these as the skull mask Nazis. These are the groups that wear the skull mask. They all came from Iron March. So this is Adam Waffen Division, National Action in the UK, uh, Antipodean Resistance were the were y'all's local group. There was there's still the Nordic Resistance Movement, Casa Pound in Italy, something called Skydas in Lithuania that might be defunct, hard to say. And you know, subsequent offshoots of those groups like the base. So the terrorism, the count of terrorism establishment does not really understand this terrorist network particularly well because they are laboring under the impression that it is a bunch of separate but ideologically linked groups. This is not the case. It is one terrorist network. And the reason that this is being overlooked is because the, the sort of terrorism studies is is kind of still has an Al-Qaeda hangover. There are a number of reasons why in the past it has been difficult for movements to begin online, but that's changed. Like something, something different happened with Iron March. It's, it's the first of its kind, which makes it, you know, sort of hard to do a comparative study of terrorist groups on a sui generis example. But it's causing, you know, a little bit of sort of a collective failure to treat this as a single network rather than a bunch of discrete groups. And what do you think are the main issues, I suppose, with the transferal from, uh, in terms of counterterrorism research from you know, groups like Al-Qaeda to, I guess, uh, networks like Iron March. Like what's what's missing in the analysis that is being brought to the far right or the extreme right? Okay, so first of all, just some terminology, housekeeping. I'm, when I refer to Iron March, I'm going to mean the web forum. When I refer to the skull masks, I'm going to mean the terrorist network. So because it doesn't really have a network level name, and honestly, 
like that might sound silly, but that is a major impediment to it being treated as a single entity. If you were going to compare the skull masks to Al Qaeda, for instance, people when they think about the skull mask, if like most people when they're going to analogize the skull masks to jihadist groups, they would say maybe Adam Waffen is like Al Qaeda and the Antipodean resistance is like Hezbollah Tahrir or something. There these they have these are two groups that have similar ideologies but they're not operationally linked. The asterisks obviously, but the skull mask network is actually more like like Al Qaeda and then you would say if you were going to analogize it you would say like Adam Waffen is like Al Qaeda Iraq and you know national action is like Al Qaeda Arabian Peninsula where these groups are all in communication with each other. They have a common goal and a common ideology and they share a common set of symbols. And they may share network level leadership, but that's not visible to an outsider. This the reason that this is so unusual is because the Skull Mask Network came from a web forum. So typically in the white nationalist and honestly in the jihadist terrorist milieus, web forums serve as like movement level forums for debate, kind of like you would expect from the name. So if you go on a neo-Nazi web forum, yes, there are people from groups in the US and Europe all talking to each other, but they're not really cooperating on terrorist business together. <laughs> they might be, you know, they're, they're engaged in ideological dialogue they're, they may be engaged in networking and movement making and a kind of almost like academics at a conference, right? But they're not saying, okay, we're going to do this terrorist attack together. Like the key difference between Iron March and past white nationalist web forums is that existing groups in the past came to web forums usually as individuals, like members of existing groups would come to web forums as individuals. They're all kind of mixed together talking. Iron March filled a niche in the ecosystem that didn't exist before. And because of its like unique position, there were very few pre-existing groups that had members who could join Iron March in that same way as others did. So Iron, the Iron March was the home of like traditionalist neo-fascists, like followers of Julius Evola. You know, Slavros had heavy links to the Eurasianism, the Eurasian movement and uh, the National Bolshevik Party, which were both sort of Alexander Dugin's projects. And Alexander Dugin is a follower of Julius Evola. And then the other early members of Iron March joined Iron March because there wasn't really a home for specifically traditionalist neo-fascism anywhere on the internet. You know, there were some traditionalists, you know, you, you can go on, you know, at the time you could go on Stormfront or something and find them, but there was no space that was just for traditionalists. And there were also hardly any real life groups that were just for traditionalists. And this is like the key factor in Iron March going from a web forum to a network of on the ground groups. Because what happens is all of these younger, so they're, they're, they're all mostly young. They're all traditionalists or traditionalist curious, they don't have local groups who match their niche ideology. They've got skinheads or sort of more George Lincoln Rockwell-ish neo-Nazi groups, but they don't have traditionalist groups to join locally. They want to get into real world activism, so they have to make their own groups. And if you, re if you go through the Iron March leak, what 
was available of Iron March in late 2017 was downloaded by anti-fascist researchers and dumped onto the internet. This was the main primary source that I used because I can't interview these people because they know about me and they won't talk to me. So if you go through the archive at Iron March, especially if you go through the DMs, you can see people over time having failed to find local groups that match their ideology, reaching out to people to find out who is near them and who they can meet up with in real life. But they're also doing kind of, they're not just doing politics together. They're doing, you know, one of them is running like some Star Wars tabletop role play. Some of them are have like a book club, but they're forming relationships online because they don't have any opportunities to form those relationships in real life. And then those are slowly but surely turning into real life relationships as they look for people who live near them. The first real life group, based on the timeline that sort of falls out of the Iron March leaks, was national action. And then in the couple of countries where there was a local neo-fascist traditionalist movement, Iron March members joined that instead of forming their own groups. So there was one in Italy that was Casa Pound. And instead of making their own new group in Italy, Iron March members joined Casa Pound. There was the Golden Dawn in Greece, and there was a Nordic resistance movement in the Nordic countries. And in all of those places, instead of forming their own group, they joined an existing group. Where there was no pre-existing group, they made new ones. And what that meant was because they were all, because they all met on Iron March, and they made the decision to engage in collective action on Iron March, where they weren't geographically linked. All of those groups, when they started, were already networked together. They were all talking to each other the whole time. And this is why I say it's not a bunch of different groups with the same ideology. It's not Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah Tahrir. It's one network. And again, like the absence of any, uh, the absence of a network level name and the absence of any clear evidence for a network level leader makes it hard for people to see this. Also sort of makes attempts to stop, you know, some of these groups activities at the local level sort of futile because there's always going to be more online links and more people who are interested but not active that you can't see kind of until we're like, we're going to be chasing our tails until we start treating this like the single terrorist network that it is. Mentioned the Iron March, like so. I imagine that's quite unusual uh, as a terrorism researcher to be handed the private messages of a terrorist network. Were there other insights that you were able to glean from that? Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in the in the Iron March leak. I have certainly not exhausted the Iron March leak. I haven't even come close because what I was looking for was specifically like information about the social networking process that catalyzed the formation of offline groups. And then, oh, and I was also looking at the entry point of the Order of Nine Angles into the Iron March network, because all of these, all of the groups that go terrorist have some kind of O9A angle to them, as it were, no pun intended. So most of my insights from the the private messages so far are, you know, one of those two things. One thing that w- that, is, that is really interesting and is also sort of a, a key mechanism in the formation of this network is that Iron Marsh private messages were limited. You could only send a certain number of them a day. I don't know exactly how many, but what that meant was that people who wanted to talk to each other 
couldn't stay on Iron March. So they would have to exchange other social media profiles of some sort. There was a Skype group, which obviously I don't have access to, called Iron Skype. And you had to like know somebody who was in it to get added to it. Like they had to think you were cool before they'd add you to Iron Skype. And then there were all of these other groups on Skype or IRC or wherever where people that people would create after like getting into a forum battle because they wanted to keep talking about it, but like the thread was dead. So you'll see people in the private messages, they'll reach out to people like both after arguments and if they agree with each other about something. It's really interesting. There's there's a number of messages where like two people are arguing about something, but they're they're still like interested in learning more about each other. So they make contact off of Iron March. So you can kind of see in the private messages as like it diffuses into other platforms and this whole like social network develops around the forum. They're such open-minded defenders of the discourse. I know. It's really weird. I, I had trouble telling like what exactly would get you banned. I was never on like, I, I was never like a, a lurker on Iron March. Like I never made a fake account and, watched i just like beefed with slavros on other social media sites occasionally so i don't like there's a lot that i kind of don't know about the culture but there was a lot more going on in those private messages than i expected to find i was like i was really surprised by that when i when i started looking through the forum archive because i expected to find that these people knew each other and that was how they found iron march but that often wasn't the case. It wasn't that like that I'm I'm like a neo-Nazi and I know somebody who's on Iron March, so I get on Iron March. It was like I'm looking for this specific ideological niche and then I make friends. You are listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We're currently talking to H.E. Upchurch about Iron March and transnational fascist networks. Could you speak a little bit about the Order of the Nine Angles and I think particularly maybe the approach they take to joining groups? I think that might be one of these things that people with an Al-Qaeda hangover might have difficulty grasping. Well, okay, I don't really like to describe the Order of Nine Angles as a group because it's a religious practice more than it's a group. So it's so it's a Nicholas Goodrich Clark totally screwed this one up. And I don't understand why, because he was one of the only people equipped to like read the Order of Nine Angles materials and know what he was talking about, Uh, but he missed it. So the Order of Nine Angles is, you know, they call themselves the sinister tradition, which is a reference to traditionalism, like this sort of quasi-mystical, like neo-fascist current that comes from Julius Evola. And then like O9A kind of represents the, if you're familiar with the terms in occultism of left-hand path and right-hand path, where right-hand path is like, I don't know, crudely, right-hand path is like white magic and left-hand path like black magic. O9A is left-hand path traditionalism. It's like a, it's a left-hand path traditionalist practice. Like that's, that's a, that's a rabbit hole for another day. But the particular, like its particular influence on the Iron March network is that it's, it's kind of a good way of making terrorists. This may be the purpose of O9A, like, period, like David Myatt may have created it to make terrorists without the ability to get somehow to obtain truthful answers from David Myatt, we'll never know. <laughs> but what what really what really stands out about O9A and the Iron March network is that the 
like the violent devotional practices of Onine were used to socialize members of the Iron March network to commit violence. So, and this is something you see with other, you don't see it quite as much with like Salafi jihadists. The best analogy, and if any, if any of you listening to this happen to follow me on Twitter, you know me and Sarah Hightower are always banging on about this. Like the best analogy for this particular aspect of it is to Aum Shinrikyo, the Japanese uh, quasi-Buddhist new age cult that sarin gassed the uh, Tokyo subway. In Aum, the sort of the willingness to commit terrorism was sort of only widespread in the group after they had already been carrying out violence internally. So the first murder in Aum was kind of later on when they accidentally killed a member in the course of like some of these violent religious practices that they would do. And then somebody was going to blow the whistle on it and they murdered him, but they were already doing things. You know, they, they would do stuff like immerse people in cold water, do like extreme fasting and other kinds of like, aesthetic practices bordering on self-harm. They also used a lot of sort of drugs to induce altered states in people and then to break down their their inhibitions, right? So the O9A practices are, are, are very similar. Although in a lot of cases in, in Alm, it was either like, it was presented as like therapeutic. So like fasting forever and then having your being doused in cold water, like like really cold water, like dangerously cold water would remove your bad karma or whatever. But in O9A, it's instead presented as a way to like become a superhuman. But it's still the same kind of you, you get used to carrying out these violent acts against other members of your own group. In the case of O9A, it was stuff like there was some self-harm stuff. So like cutting, especially like bloodletting. There was, there's a sort of infamous video uh, of the Temple of Blood guys, which was a O9A group associated with Adam Waff and waterboarding each other. There's some other, some of the other materials from Temple of Blood involve like floggings, but all of that like makes makes these people more comfortable with violence before, well before they're ever asked to carry out a terrorist act. And in that in that sense, it's sort of a key element in the Iron March Network's ability to carry out attacks because they need a pool of people who are willing to do violence. And this is one way, an apparently reasonably efficient way to make a pool of people who are willing to carry out violence. In terms of uh, what's become of the uh, members of Iron March since its collapse, what can you tell us about what's happened to Savros and have you been able to trace the, I guess, career trajectories of some of the other members of the uh, forum? So I haven't been as focused on tracing their career trajectories because I was, at least for my for my master's research, I was primarily interested in the development of the network. And because, like, no IRB would ever let me interview any of these people, even if I didn't have beef with Vic Mackey of the Bull Patrol, I was not particularly focused on tracking them down. I did find Slavros, actually. In April of 2020, I realized one day I was in, I'm in, you know, all kinds of Nazi telegram channels. If you're, you know, if you're a Nazi in a telegram channel listening to this, you don't know who I am. If you think you know who I am, you don't. I was in this discussion channel about esoteric Hitlerism. 
And there was a user whose like username was Alexander in in like Cyrillic characters, who I was sort of aware of because I'd been in this channel for like six months. And one day I, he said something, and I was like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, you're Slavros." Like, like you, like the thing, whatever he said, I, I, I would have to dig up the, the screenshots of this, but like, whatever he said, it was just like, okay, that's a Slavros thing to say. And I went back and I looked, I, I went back and I looked through and, you know, I cannot absolutely say that this Telegram user was Slavros, but his speech patterns matched his history, like his profile picture imagery the history of like, you can, if you on Telegram, you can click on a user and see like a history of the profile pictures they've used. And it was all very, like, very Slavros, either Knott's Bull stuff or, like, Slavros-looking art. So I can tell you that it appears that Alexander Slavros was hanging out in an esoteric Hitlerism discussion group in April 2020, but I got banned from that group shortly afterwards for inactivity, and I haven't managed to get back in. As far as the other members of Iron March, so most of them have not been identified. We do know... You know, some of the some of the leaders have been arrested, especially in the UK. A number of the leaders of national action have been arrested, at least as often for child pornography as for terrorism. And then in the US, so the Adam Waffen guys got rolled up after the murders in 2018. But that was only the original like the original three man cell in Florida. So most of these, most of the people who are members of these iron March groups are still at large. And most of these groups, while like most of the original groups don't really exist in practice anymore, the people who are in them are still doing stuff and they're doing stuff under new names. So uh, national action was banned. It metastasized into a couple of different, I would have to, I would have to find, like I would have to dig through my notes to find the names of all of the, like all of the other aliases that national action is operating under now. But, you know, every couple of months, the UK government bans a new national action rebrand in the U S we had Adam Waffen, a bunch of people, you know, once, you know, once some people started getting busted in Adam Waffen, they kind of broke up. A bunch of them ended up joining the base. Some of them appear to be in, you know, some of them may have gone to Foyer Creek Division, some of them may have gone to Stern and Krona. But then there are a number of countries where their Iron March, uh, where their Iron March affiliate or their Iron March group is still pr- basically at large. So Golden Dawn has not been having a bad time and neither has Nordic Resistance Movement or Casa Pound. So like the UK government is obviously like chasing its tail because you know, you ban national action, but the the people are still militant, Evola following neo-fascists. They they make new groups, they make new names. And they like these groups recombine and form something that looks different, but it's still the same Iron March network. So I guess that would be my last question. There's currently a, a bit of a debate in Australia about the efficacy of uh, prescribing one of the Iron March sort of groups here. Do you think that prescription of these groups is an effective method for countering them? Well, I'm an American, so no. <laughs> but aside from that, I don't think it's, I really don't think it's particularly useful unless I don't quite know how your prescription laws work in, in Australia, but it's it's not particularly effective 
unless you could sort of keep track of the network as it evolves and unless you know who the people are. As long as you don't know who the people are and you're just looking at like some group posting that occasionally claims attacks, they're going to come up with a new name and you're going to be you're going to be 6 months behind. You will always be 6 months behind. There 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 really isn't an easy solution to this. Prescribing groups is is definitely not an easy solution because like they they won't they won't hang around to get rolled up. They'll stop what they're doing. They'll get a new name, they'll get a new logo. They'll they'll switch around who's in what cell and they'll keep going. So really just providing work for the graphic designers of the neo-Nazi movement. It's providing work for the graphic designers. It's kind of uh, from the perspective of somebody who is sometimes like in the chat when this happens, it just makes my life hard because I'm just like, okay, crap. Now I have to go find, where did they go? So everybody who's actually inside <clears throat> tracing this when, when that happens and they go and they scatter, like we're picking up the pieces for months. And I like, I don't know if, I don't know if law enforcement experiences those same hassle. I would imagine they do, but it's not like, I understand why it looks like something that makes sense. And I honestly, I do think that there are some groups that it makes sense for. It makes sense for, you know, it makes sense for ISIS because we, we sort of understand ISIS reasonably well, but if you're just going to, Prescri- but you wouldn't just put a ban on, you know, ISIS in the Philippines and not ban main ISIS, right? So if you're if you're not saying like, okay, if you're in a skull mask Nazi group, you busted. There's no point. So the other thing here is that like, like there's no way that, that sort of governments don't understand this by this point. Like, like they have they they've arrested enough of these guys. But they have to know that it's all one terrorist network. But again. We don't know who the leaders are. Maybe they know. I sure don't know. We don't know who, well, we don't know who the movement level leaders are. We know who the leaders of individual groups are sometimes. Like we know that uh, Denton was one of the leaders at Adam and We know about Ryan Fleming and Ben Raymond and National Action. But we don't know, A, if there is a movement level leader. I sort of think there probably has to be. I just don't know who it is. And if we don't know how many groups there are, and we don't have a network level name for it, it's going to be a hard sell for governments that, yeah, this is all one thing because it's it's like a hard sell for me, even in like the academic world. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if people want to find you on Twitter, you're at H-E Upchurch. Yes, that is correct. And I think there's like in my bio, there's a link to some of my uh, open source geospatial shenanigans. Sometimes I look at some satellite imagery. Sometimes I call botanists in the middle of the night because I'm watching a terrorist video. You know. Sounds fun. Thanks so much. Folks, we'll catch you next week. Global Intifada is up next. See you later.
featuring world-changing documentaries aimed at inspiring a better world. This year's Transitions Film Festival covers themes of art, activism, climate change, social innovation, epic architecture, and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, available virtually from February the 26th to March the 15th, online and nationwide. The Transitions Film Festival is a 3CR supporter.